0: It's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is Guy Cote. He is a native of Maine, a screenwriter of Note, a novelist, and a history teacher. The Girl in the Polka Dot Dress This is his third and most recent novel. Guy, thank you for being here, my friend. Well, thank you for having me, Terrence. I really appreciate it. Of course. We are very excited about your latest book, The Girl in the Polka Dot Dress. And uh, I was hoping you might be able to let the audience know a little bit about it.
1: Oh, absolutely. So I'll just give you the, the real quick uh, uh, go to on this. Um, mm-hmm. There were 15 when Bobby Kennedy was shot in the early morning hours of June 5th, 1968. Uh, there were there, there were 15 witnesses that claimed to have seen a girl wearing a, pol- a young girl wearing a polka dot dress flee out of the hotel. And she was saying, we shot him. We shot him all excitedly. Uh, right. That that became now that's real. I didn't make that up. The police and the FBI have never found that girl. Although there, although there has been an extensive search over the years, and of course, um, histor- uh conspiracy buffs have, have been searching forever for this person, and nobody's ever found her. Mm-hmm. So I use that as the springboard my, for my story, and I set it in—I set the bulk of the story in 2018, the 50th year, 50th anniversary of Bobby's assassination—and mm-hmm. I said. What if you had a deputy district attorney in California who learns that his mother may have been the girl in the polka dot dress? Mm. So here you have this okay. deputy st- district attorney sworn to upholding justice, and he's faced with this ultimate conundrum of uh, having a mother that could have been involved in one of the most notorious assassinations in American history. Right, And that was the springboard for which my story uh, emerged.
0: Wow. Now, I would imagine that you had to do an awful lot of research into this topic before you even began to broach it. Uh, What was it about the assassination itself that stuck foremost in your mind?
1: Well, you know, everybody has gone into the JFK, and, and, you know, and I I know you have too, and and you've uncovered a lot of new stuff uh, that's very exciting. But I said, you know, so many people talk about JFK. And when you say the Kennedy assassination, you instantly think of JFK, but you should be, the people should be adding an S to it and saying the Kennedy assassinations. Right. Um, Cause Bobby was, was killed. And, you know, I just thought, well, how come nobody's looking at this? Um, so I decided that was the, that was what started me on it. And mm-hmm. then when I started delving into it, of course, you can't separate the two assassinations. They're just so interconnected. And I began, the more I read, the more I researched, the more I saw how connected they were. And that really got me excited because I've always been fascinated by the JFK um, assassination and, and uh, I've been fascinated by the Kennedys in general. Uh, Right. And then, you know, that's, that's what started me on that. And then I, I mean, like you with your research for your books, I did a massive amount of research. I mean, I was up, you know, I was up till three, four in the morning some nights just reading these books, couldn't put them down. Right. And, uh, you know, but you, obviously you've got to be careful not to go too far down a rabbit hole because you could start, you know, going into every conspiracy. And the problem that I found, and you may have, have encountered this yourself and you may feel this way yourself, is I get upset. I get bothered by the trivialization of it. Um, right. Because now it becomes... Almost like, oh, yeah, there's a Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, Aliens of Roswell and the Kennedy assassination, you know, and, and I right. that bothers me because you have these two, in my estimation, wonderful, great men uh, who were murdered. And, you know, that's mm. at the heart of this. And, and you know, I, I, I always kept that in mind as I was reading these things. And uh, so that's where that took me. That's how I started anyway.
0: Right, yeah. It's amazing how people, it, it, you get different types of people who are interested in these kinds of events, but for different reasons. And I've always been interested in the reason for the interest. You know, um, yeah. you know, I, I've said elsewhere that I love going into all of these theories about ancient aliens, Bigfoot, UFOs, etc. Right. And I've always come away with something that said, you know, there's a real world explanation for it. Um, right. You know, and, and I'm not going to get into knocking off each one, but I can understand why people have their beliefs, but I've, I've also been convinced that there are more sensible explanations for it than something we don't know. But but for the Kennedy assassinations, both of them, there's always so much there that there's just something to hang the hat on. And, yeah. and you've definitely found that. And, and when you do the research, you have to do it all. You have to read the, the crazy theories, the more specific huh. theories. But it's interesting how some people just focus on one thing. There's a lot of people who just do their, fo- their focus on what happened in the kitchen where he got shot. And there's other right. people that take the broader view. So right. for people who might not be familiar with the assassination itself, what was the what happened when RFK uh, got shot as he left the, uh, the stage in uh, California?
1: Well, okay. First of all, you can't, discuss Bobby without talking about the Manchurian, excuse me, the Manchurian candidate theory. Um, It's so intricately linked. And by the way, here's a little, you know, trivial tidbit. John Frankenheimer, who directed the original Manchurian candidate with Frank Sinatra, Bobby stayed at his house the night before he was shot.
0: Wow. (laughs) Isn't that just bizarre? Wow. And especially because wasn't it Sinatra who got that movie pulled after the JFK assassination? Yes, that's right.
1: That's right. Right.
0: So that's just a little aside. thing. But
1: like you said, there's, there's so much there, so much smoke, so much smoke, there must be a fire someplace, you know? Right. And uh, so anyway, the, going back to RFK, so, you know, it, I got to give a little bit of the history of the campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Bobby was a very outspoken opponent of the Vietnam War. Um and he was in the senate at the time uh in 68 and he uh he was a very becoming more and more so a very vocal critic of the war of course johnson was saying well you know it's your you're one of the reasons that we're in this war because you know you were working hand in hand with your brother during the kennedy administration and and jfk sent advisors to vietnam but of course johnson stepped that up massively um so there was a real between uh rfk and 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 uh johnson president johnson and uh so that that gulf became was getting bigger and bigger and fine and even though there was a gulf between the two bobby kennedy was reluctant to run for president against his against an incumbent in his own party well you know finally he was you know uh he began. M- McCarthy was doing well. Eugene McCarthy and and these other candidates were starting to come out, and the and the anti-war movement was really saying, "Well, Bobby's letting us down. We're going elsewhere." And Bobby finally said, "Okay, I I've got to do it." Uh, he was convinced that that he had to run against his own uh, incumbent president from his own party, and uh, he threw his hand he threw his hat in the ring. Uh, and then shortly after that, of course, we know that once Bobby announced he was running, uh, Johnson went on TV and said that he's not going to seek a second, a a second term
0: or actually
1: third term, if you want to consider him finishing out JFK's term. And so that cleared, that cleared the, uh, the slate for, uh, for a new, a new host of democratic candidates. So Bobby, Bobby starts running, but even though he was popular, he, uh, he was playing catch up because he he dragged his feet so long, right? And it wasn't until um, Chicago. I mean, excuse me. It wasn't until California where he finally really proved his mettle with the uh, with the party because he won he won the uh, primary in California, and most people figured that was that was the best indication of whether he had a legitimate shot at getting the nomination in '68 to run against whoever the Republican was, which ultimately, of course, became Nixon. Right. And so uh, so it, the proof point became California. Now, there were people who Bobby had made enemies of when he was the attorney general working for his brother. Uh, there were, of course, uh, many people, many of us who believe, and I say us, uh, many yeah. of us who believe that these people were involved in, in killing JFK. And right. so, you know, they... But it's it's not it's no small thing to knock off a a major political uh, figure in in right. history, right? So I think that they they were these people were lurking in the back waiting to see if if RFK could actually had a legitimate shot because if our if RFK had no shot if he was say uh, scandalized like his brother became later on with Chappaquiddick. Um, Right. And he had no chance at the White House. Then, you know, there's no reason to bump him off because he wasn't going to. Right. But if he had a legitimate shot at becoming president, then then they were scared because they they knew, knowing how Bobby was, he was a he was a pit bull uh, as far as chasing justice. Um, They knew that if he was in the White House, that he would use all the powers of the presidency to reopen the investigation into JFK's murder. Because he was right. never satisfied with it, even though he said in public that he was that he accepted the Warren Commission. Um so at any rate, the proof point became California. So I believe that once he once he proved that he could actually get the nomination by winning California, that the plans went in motion at that point, and they said, Okay, now we gotta get him before he become before he reaches the White House. Right. Um so that is, that is how, that is the backstory, in my estimation, that's the backstory that led to the events of hap- that happened in the early morning hours of June 5th, 1968. Um, right. So, you know, at that point, Kennedy makes his famous speech. Anybody that's seen the clips knows, he says, in front of all the cameras, you know, now we, we won here, now it's on to Chicago, unless when there, Chicago, of course, is where the, uh, um, the Democratic Convention was. And, uh, so anyway, right after that, he is led, he was supposed to be going a different route, but as he comes off the stage, the, uh, the, um, uh, the person in the the security of the, of the hotel, it wasn't, it wasn't his campaign security and it wasn't, um, any secret service because back then the secret service were not allowed, were not assigned to candidates. Um, it was the, the maitre d who led him. Off the stage through the pantry, and there in the pantry, Sirhan Sirhan was was lying in wait. Um, it's a crowded pantry, Bobby. And I say this, and I, I my prologue to the book actually walks us through that particular scene where Bobby is coming through. He's got all. It's a crowded pantry. He's, all these well wishes shaking his hand, reaching out for him. He's, you know, uh, there was saying congratulations you're our best hope we love you you know all the way with rfk you know all that stuff and as he's making his way down then this squirrely little guy uh who looks more like uh, a beggar on to be honest with you looks more like a beggar on the street than a than a well wisher at a political rally uh they're all kempt, you know that sort of thing um He jumps out and sticks his hand out. And of course, it appears he wants to shake his hand like everybody else. But no, there's a gun at the end of it. And he starts firing off the shots. And he has eight shots in his gun. And of course, all mayhem is going crazy. Everything is going crazy. Um, Bobby's hit. There are five others that are hit. Uh, They all go down. And then people jump, uh, jump Sirhan Sirhan, the shooter. And they wrestle the gun out of his hand. Meanwhile, you know people are trying to attend to Bobby. Bobby's the only one who's fatally shot of all the people who are wounded. He's is the only one that's fatal. That's fatal. Um, right. And then, you know, then you you have all the uh, all the chaos that ensues thereafter. Uh, right.
0: Right. So, and all of the uh, and all of the conspiracies that immediately sprang up practically from the very moment news broke that uh, Robert F. Kennedy had been shot. Now, what was it about your research that led you to want to tell the story in the way that you did in terms of, you've said that there's a more modern day uh, part to it, and then a lot of it is told in flashbacks. Uh, What made you want to do that as opposed to just telling a straight story about the assassination itself?
1: Well, you know, I thought I want to, I want to make it contemporary. I want people to really feel it, but feel that history, even though it was 50 years ago now more so it's still really very much with us today. And then I started thinking, okay, I, I found this, this thing on the girl in the polka dot dress. Let me just talk about her for just a second. Cause that will help me to answer your question. Sure. Um, so this girl in the polka dot dress, uh, Sirhan Sirhan, after he shot Bobby, everybody said that when they looked at him, his, he looked like he was drugged out or, or in an altered state somehow, either drunk or drugged or whatever. But his eyes were, were very bizarre and he had, a, he had an oddly peaceful look on his face as he's committing this brutal act. And even with all the pummeling, people are punching him and wailing on him and ripping the gun out of his hand and throwing him around. And he's a little man. I mean, he's he's, he's, going to be thrown around like a rag doll. Um, He had this serene, peaceful look on his face and very bizarre. Well, anyway, Sirhan Sirhan has always maintained that he has no recollection of the shooting, that the last thing he remembers was having coffee in the um, in the hotel coffee shop uh, with a girl a pretty girl who was wearing a white dress with black polka dots then the next oh. thing he remembers is waking up to being beaten up and punching and all this stuff and then he goes through all the the circus of of being brought through the police police and the 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 processing and all the stuff that goes with with what happened to him being arrested right and so um, then, as I read more, I began to keep coming across these people, these witnesses who kept talking about seeing a girl in a white, a white dress with black polka dots. A couple of people said they saw her with Sirhan prior to the assassination. And then this one girl, a, a young girl by the name of Sandy Serrano, who was 19 years old, was sitting on the fire escape, escape outside the hotel just because it was you know, uh, hot and crowded in the in the hotel. So she went to get right. some air on the fire escape, sitting on the fire escape. She saw this girl run past her right after the shooting. And she was, and she was exclaiming all excitedly, we shot him, we shot him. Right. Uh, and so that, that's what I decided to focus on. And I said, here, we've got something that brings it to from the past to the present. If you go with the they they never found this girl even though like i said even though they looked for her um and so i said well what if that girl grew up to become an older woman and she's still alive and she had a family and now Mm -hmm. what if what if her family one of them grows goes into law enforcement or legal the legal field somehow or another and boom that was my that was my hook that started me off on this and that's why I said, "Oh, that's how I can tell this story," um, right. but I also realized that you need to, I need to be immersing the reader in the time period as well, not just mm-hmm. looking back fifty years later. So I tell half the story in flashback, um, maybe not half, maybe you know, I don't know, less than half. But okay, anyway, I I, I do I have a, a number of scenes that chronicle this girl um from being a uh she leaves she has a, a very typical uh story for the early 60s for the mid actually the mid 60s where she runs away from an an oppressive environment in nebraska where it's you know she's kind of stifled and she's expected to live the traditional woman's role and, and that sort of thing that was expected of back, people then. back yeah. then and uh she leaves to come to sunny california where there's You know, all the the hippie, wild hippie, free life, free life and all that stuff. And and she gets caught up in that whole scene, not in a bad way, but in a good way, just meeting interesting people. Her eyes are opening up to a larger world. Meanwhile, she has a brother who went the traditional route, joins the military, gets shipped out to this weird place they heard of called Vietnam that nobody really in America had heard of at that point.
0: Yeah, at that point.
1: yeah. Yeah. And that's the last they heard of him. They don't know anything more but his parent her parents are proud of him for serving the country and they're ashamed of her for being this this uh, flower loving, you know, tree hugging whatever you want to call it back then. Um, right. so she gets caught up in that whole style, lifestyle in Southern California. And she's meeting really interesting people and of course we know that Bobby was shot in Southern California. And right. so it's it's this environment that she gets caught up in and so I I flashback and I I bring the reader through all the, all the, the, a lot of the major events of that time that led to, up to the assassination so that they can understand kind of what was going on um, that led the mindset of that time that led to the shooting. It wasn't just uh, an an act in a vacuum. I mean, it was connected to so many other things. And that's what I tried to do by immersing this girl into these things
0: it's a fantastic story yeah and and you do a really great job of not getting bogged down into one part of it or the other Uh, it really flows together and that uh, took quite a bit of talent to be able to pull off so my hat is off to you about that well
1: thank you my friend
0: no problem now regarding the girl in the polka dot dress not in pertaining to your book but in uh in let's say fact-based as have there been theories about who she was? I know that she's never been identified, but is there any idea of who she may have been, what she may have been there for? Wasn't she seen leaving with somebody else?
1: Correct. Yeah. In fact, there were, uh, there've been over the years, again, at this point, we're talking 55 years. uh, There have been a number of, of people who have claimed that, Oh, I know who the girl in polka dot dress was. And, you know, there. I I found probably, I guess, four of them over the course of, the, of my research that made really good arguments for who this person was. Now, what I tried to do with this story was, I wanted to do, when the movie JFK, when Oliver Stone did JFK in 91, I right. remember seeing an interview with him where he said that, he goes, the the legend of the assassination that I put forward is not one. It's not one theory of the assassination. I took all the major theories and I tried to encapsulate them into one coherent story is what, how he explained what he did with JFK. Um, And and I said, I'd like to do something kind of similar with the, with my story where I I took, I took elements from a lot of these different um, theories and I kind of, try to tie them in as cohesively as, as I could. Um, cause there are, there's one theory, for example, that, that says that the girl in the polka dot dress, her real name was Sheeran S H I R I N. I believe that's how it's spelled. And okay. she was the daughter of a guy who was involved, who was a, a spy for the U S government. His name was Ky- Kybler Khan. Uh, who was involved in uh, activities in the Middle East, particularly the uh, the the, um, the the rising of the Shah in Iran
0: right He was involved
1: in the in, in all of that and he was they they say that he was tied with the CIA uh, and he was involved uh, with co- helping to coordinate um, Shirin and um, Sirhan Serhan and a couple others in coordinating this this assassination in fact there are there were theories that I things that I read uh, that talked about um, this girl Sheeran and this guy Khan her father allegedly and mm-hmm. Sirhan trying to get access to Bobby's Uh, a couple of campaign events that Bobby did earlier prior to the actual shooting. Okay. Um, And, you know, they were denied access because they didn't have the credentials or whatever. So they were turned away, but there were people who claimed later on that they, that they saw them. There were others that claimed to have seen this trio um, with Sir hand in the, up in the Hills, practicing shooting. Interesting.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I tied, I tied some of that together. Um, and so, you know, this, this girl in the polka dot dress thing really opened up a lot of avenues for me to, to weave in a lot of these other theories that, you know, the thing about theories is, is a lot of them, some of them are are loony, but a lot of them are based on, on truth. And, you know, uh, and so it was interesting to be able to, to weave in the the theories that I thought had some some merit, uh, and I was able to use the girl in the polka dot dress
0: to do that. Right, right. No, it was it's really a great way that you were able to handle it because you get the relevance of the relevance of modern day, and then you also have the importance of what happened back then. And it's 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 a fantastic way to present the kind of story that you wanted to tell. Um, yeah, I know you've written several books before this one, and I was wondering if you've got anything else on the horizon that uh that the audience could look for in the uh coming months from you.
1: Yeah, well I'm working now I'm working on something involved with early baseball. Um I don't want to okay. give don't want to give too much away, but it's uh I'm excited about it. Um right now i'm actually moving from my i sold my other house and i'm moving into a new house so that's got i'm focusing on that so unfortunately my writing is is temporarily on hold till that's done but i i have this book uh that i'm dealing with with early baseball and i'm tying in some of the mythology of that and uh i'm very very excited about that story because i that's kind of what i do is history is my thing um Mm -hmm. you know like you said in the introduction i used to teach history. And I love stories that, that take something from history and then create a, a fiction around them. You mm-hmm. know, I don't necessarily, I do like historical fiction, um, but I also like stuff almost like Indiana Jones, so to speak, where they, they take like the Ark of the Covenant, for example. They, they, they took this uh, artifact from history and they created an adventure today. Around well, not today, but it was said in the 1930s or whatever. But you know what I mean—a modern type of venture around an ancient thing. And I, right. I kind of like to do stuff like that. With although I'm not, my characters aren't Indiana Jones. I do like to have, you know, something take something from the past and weave it into a contemporary story, to show that history is still very much with us. And that's kind of what I'm doing with this baseball one.
0: Right, and those yeah. people who ignore it are doomed to repeat it. You know it. We certainly are. Now, what's the best way that people can keep in touch with you, follow your career as it goes, your your website, your social media presence, places like well, that? Well, uh,
1: guycodybooks.com is the best way to to reach me because uh, it has my books and it, that's my website. Uh, mm-hmm. I can also I'm also active, very active on Facebook. Um, I recently started uh, doing some TikTok stuff, although it's it's really it's in its infancy. I'm kind of kind of old school with that, you know, so I'm, I'm, you know, delving more into that, but yeah, that's the best way is to go right to, right to my website. I mean, I can also be found on my, my publisher for, uh, for two of my books is a world castle publishing. Um, And uh, so that I can be found there as well. And of course through Amazon, Uh, I'm a big, I'm there on Amazon with all my stuff, but the best way would be guycodybooks.com.
0: Fantastic. Well, that's really great. And thank you for spending so much time with us to let us know about The Girl in the Polka Dot Dress. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in for yet another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We'll see you next time, everyone. Take care. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley, on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.